The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share a story with you today. It won't be new for some of you, but I pray it will strike a chord in your heart that has never before been struck. It's the story of the beginning of the Argentine revival. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. Ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. It's a story written by R. Edward Miller, 
pastor and doctor R. Edward Miller. The book is entitled, Thy God Reigneth. I'm going to share with you chapter 2, An End and a Beginning. Now, part of why I'm sharing this with you is in the context of this week's messages. I'm asking you to listen to this and then to act accordingly. I am. In January of 1949, Pastor Miller writes, I came to the end of the road, to Laval, a village nestling in the foothills of the great Andes Mountain. I went with missionary Robert Thomas and a gospel tent. Our purpose was to hold a gospel campaign in a town where, to our knowledge, the gospel had never before been preached. We labored in the hot Andean sun, filling the air with recorded music, visiting every home in the community, distributing tracts and gospel portions. We prayed and prepared messages. Yet night after night, no one came. Then came torrential rains, and they flooded us out. Still we kept on. But in spite of all of our efforts, witnessing, testifying, preaching, no one came. The strong man still ruled over the small city. After two weeks of expense and labor, we were forced to retreat in keen disappointment with absolutely no visible returns. For me, that defeat marked the end of a long trail and the beginning of a new one. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind, could well describe my relationship with God up to that time. There had always been plausible excuses for the lack of harvest and the want of results in my ministry. As a child, I'd often witnessed mighty operations of God under the ministry of servants of God as Dr. Charles Price and Sister Amy McPherson. Yet I knew these operations were lacking in my own ministry. Still excuses, convenient places to lay the blame provided for me my imaginary refuge from the searchlight of God's truth. Always for the reason for my failure lay somewhere outside of myself. In one place, the people were too hard. In another, it was not harvest time yet, or it was necessary to sow the seed first, or the people had no faith. From one pastorate to another, from one mission field to another, the excuses multiplied. True, a certain work of God had been done. In the eyes of man, there was no need to feel ashamed. But in my own secret heart, I knew there was a better way. Every faith-filled spirit of God did not let complacency hinder his purpose. Times without number, the question of Elisha echoed in my soul, where is the God of Elijah? Now in Laval, meaning the valley, A town which had never heard the gospel before was neither gospel-hardened nor burned over territory. 
I was faced with the stark reality. I had been defeated. With every condition favorable, missionary equipment complete, a competent missionary evangelist companion, I had still utterly failed. I was forced to admit that in spite of excellent ministerial training and the baptism of the Holy Spirit received as a child, there was still an obvious and deadly lack of power in my ministry. The long road of excuses was over. My fleeing ended. God caused me to take inventory of myself, and the result was disillusioning. Bitterly defeated, all defenses overthrown, I was brought by God into a conference of surrender. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, God was saying, challenging for the surrender of both flesh and the works of flesh. Good as works of flesh were, they were unacceptable. God was offering a new way, a way of power, an operation of the Holy Spirit himself released in the ministry of deliverance. There is a path, according to Job 28, 7 and 8, which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lions pass by it. The terms of God for surrender were that I should spend a minimum of eight consecutive hours daily with him in prayer and his word. If a man could work eight hours a day, a minister could pray as long. Sometimes I remained much longer than the eight hours, at times all day and night. Some openly expressed their disapproval, questioning my sanity concluding that no one had a right to receive a missionary salary who spent most of his time in prayer and not traditional missionary activities. Yet I knew that I could not go one step more fooling myself and fleeing from God. I had to accept his challenge. In a little vacant attic room over the garage of the Adobe Church in Mendoza, where I was an interim pastor, I began to seek the Lord. I just had to find God's answers for revival and the moving of the Spirit in Argentina for a divine intervention such as spoken of in the book of Acts for an, for an, an operation according to his abilities and not according to mine. Was it merely wishful thinking? Was it possible for an ordinary man without any other qualifications than a call to the ministry to meet God in such a way that it would bring tangible results and visible fruit? Did God challenge men? Could man accept such a challenge? Could time accept the challenge of eternity? Were all the mighty saints and prophets of history special sovereign creations of God, or were they just ordinary men who accepted the challenge of God? Was there a way? Could man have a direct encounter with God? If not, at the end of that road of no return, if there was no answer, there loomed ahead of me an abysmal disorientation, shattered dreams and illusions long held 
in sacred secret. So often in the scriptures, God says to man, seek my face. But he never tells us how it's to be done. Was seeking God the prerogative of a select few, a limited group of mystics by birth who would climb high on a prophet's mountain? Many unanswered questions led me to one main question. Could a most ordinary man, but the most ordinary talent and preparation without any special gifts of mysticism or genius, find God? Was therefore such a one of vital contact? a personal encounter with the Lord of glory, a careful search of the scriptures from Abraham to Nehemiah, from Elijah to Peter, seemed to clearly indicate an affirmative. Being practical by nature, more at home in shop and field than at a desk or in a prophet's chamber, I had to find an answer that was at the same time both spiritual and practical dynamically real as well as scripturally authentic. The spiritual and the material just had to meet in man. Doubts, questions, and fears marked the passing of long hours. Where was God? The walls echoed back the barren question. Turmoil wrestled within. Was such a demand on God human impertinence? Ahead loomed an abruptly apparent dead-end street, a defeat threatened, so final, so abysmal, that the fear of it became a strong motive to forego, to forge on. (laughs) Days of fasting, still there was no answer. Endless hours passed, still no windows were opened in heaven, weeping, waiting, meditating, searching the word, walking, kneeling, standing, again prostrate on the floor, silence. No posture, no fast, fasting, no tears, no cries could pierce the silent, invisible barrier which so oppressively closed in upon my being that days slowly passed, lengthening into weeks. God was in no hurry to uncover the secrets of his mysteries. He who had so carefully hid the diamonds deeply in the earth for only the most diligent of seekers to find did not hurry to reveal his hiding place to the one who aspired to visit his treasury. The seeking and digging was necessary. Two months passed, and eternity fitted into time. Not a breeze stirred in the spiritual world, not even a tiny cloud the size of a man's hand appeared. I want to stop a moment. I'm doing the same thing this dear man did, this R. Edward Miller in the book, Thy God Reigneth. I'm spending my time praying, waiting on God for the Holy Spirit. He said to me, wait upon the Lord. And so I'm waiting on the Lord. Let me tell you a little bit what that looks like. I'm arising early in the morning. This morning it was 
just past 4.30. I'm going into the prayer closet. And I'm crying out to God. I'm waiting on the Lord. And then I take a walk where I praise and worship him. I read the word. I prepare in the late morning a small meal of steamed vegetables. I prepare for this broadcast. And then I go back to the prayer closet. Sometime later in the day, I will have another meal of a small protein. And then I go back to waiting on God. More than eight hours a day. I leave the house twice a week. A friend picks me up midweek and takes me out to a Panera where we sit and pray and share and talk and have a coffee together. Sometimes he'll take me to do the bank deposit or some other errand that needs to be done. And then he brings me back. And I again enter into the prayer closet. And then the second time I leave the house during the week is when a dear brother takes me Sunday afternoon to buy a few groceries so that I have something in the house to take care of my hunger. So two times a week I leave the house and the rest of the time I spend before the Lord crying out for revival and the Holy Spirit to come. And I tell you, I've walked long enough with the Lord that I don't despair of his coming. I know he will come. I just don't know how long. Already it has been, this regime that I just shared has been a month long. I will continue until Jesus sends forth his Holy Spirit. I don't know how to raise the money to pay for the radio because I am so much in the prayer closet. And so what I do in the prayer closet is pray for you that you will be moved by the Holy Spirit and that you will send money to care for the radio broadcast. And then, of course, I have studio rent. I have the internet cost. I have other expenses like the rent, utilities, I simply have given all of that into the hand of Jesus and simply wait before him praying. It's not my responsibility to pay for the expenses. It is my Lord's responsibility. He's told me to do this. And so, this is how I'm living right now. I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit revival. I challenge you to find a way to lay aside much time every day 
five or six hours minimum to be in the presence of the Lord. Some of you say, oh, I can't do that, Pastor. Well, I can tell you now, I've tried all the busy deals and they don't work. I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit. Our Edward Miller continues in his book, Thy God Reigneth, chapter 2. Then the enemy brought an almost successful attempt to halt the search. Set God a date. Surely by now you know you're mistaken. There's no use going on indefinitely. So I set a date. God, if by the end of this week, Saturday evening at five o'clock, you don't manifest yourself, then I will know that I'm mistaken, and I will go out with tracks returning to the conventional institutional missionary routine. Surely God, knowing that I was sincere, would be forced to move out from his hiding place. But still no breeze stirred his infinite wisdom and patience. God held his peace. And the end of the week drew near. The five o'clock hour arrived and God still had done nothing. With unutterable bitterness of soul, with tears of frustration and defeat, welling up from depths within, I filled my pockets with tracks and slowly walked down the long hall, which led to the street. God had not answered. At that moment, in God's precise timing, a local pastor arrived with his teenage, unconverted son. During the visit, the pastor poured out his troubles at great length. Minutes became hours. It was impossible to do the proposed house-to-house visitation and tract distribution. As the two visitors prepared to leave, I asked the boy a searching question. One word led to another, until the young boy was on his face, sobbing his way out to Calvary. The two finally left. In the darkness of the hall, with a door behind them scarcely closed, a voice within me said, You see, son, when I wish, I can bring them in. Now return to prayer until I tell you that it's time to leave. So back I went again into that little attic room for more weeks of wrestling, prayer, and the word. Months went by until time lost all its meaning. Then one day, a day no different from all the others that had gone before without any advance warning whatever, a word was spoken into the very air of that room a word that vibrated into the depths and out again into the heights. Upon that word, the mighty presence of God came and filled the whole world, it seemed. In a voice that seemed fully audible, a special message was given. The separating veil was rent, the windows were opened, glory shone all around, and I was in the Spirit. God had come to just an ordinary man. He had come to bring forth his purpose, his will. His reality was manifested and his word fully vindicated. 
he had not said, Seek ye my face in vain. For weeks the heavens were opened, and in spirit I saw things unlawful to be uttered. Then a strange order was given. Go call the people to prayer. I will pour out my spirit upon them. Tell them to come prepared to stay from eight until midnight. If they are not prepared to stay the entire four hours, they must not come at all. Could such an order be of the Lord? Just a while previously, a most convenient hour had been chosen for prayer meeting, and not one person had come. And now, at a most inconvenient hour, who would be interested enough to come? The prosaic order was unspectacular and oversimple. Naaman had expected the prophet to at least strike his hands over the place of his affliction, affliction, anticipating a dramatic appearance of some kind, not a mere order, go wash seven times in the Jordan. I later discovered that it's not the order, but the one who gives it that makes all the difference. God's ways are not our ways. He gave this command, and he expected it to be obeyed, literally. You know, I'm, as a pastor, I hold a church worship meeting in my home on Sunday morning at 10, and I come and do this radio broadcast day by day. Other than that, I'm simply waiting before God for the coming of the Holy Spirit, crying out to him. And it seems in the flesh like the heavens are closed up. And all I can do is weep before the Lord, read the word, stand on the promises, review the experiences of the past where God has come in mighty power and brought deliverance. I'm not willing to go any further without the power of the Holy Spirit. My ministry is over. I no longer have a ministry. It is either the ministry of the Holy Spirit or I have nothing to do with it. I pray for you who listen. I lifted you up this morning. I asked Jesus to meet you today. You may think I'm crazy and radical and off the edge. I'm sorry. We're not getting the job done. The church is not getting the job done. There's got to be a great change. We need the Holy Spirit in power, not in some sentimental way. We've got to have the Holy Spirit in power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to proclaim the gospel. I want to see 3,000 baptized in a day. God was beginning to teach us the importance of simple, explicit obedience. In Eden, it was not the quantity of fruit consumed that brought such chaos. 
It was the quality of disobedience which revealed the deep rebellion to the rule of God and separated man from his God. Implicit, simple obedience is the only way that leads back into the presence of God and restores the right relationship with him. The invitation made to the little church group the following Sunday was most unusual and difficult to fulfill. Cold winter weather, unheated buildings, and a lack of transportation after the midnight hour all combined to make it difficult to respond to such a call. Nevertheless, three indicated their willingness to attend the proposed prayer service. These three came. A timid servant lass, a backslidden man, and his young wife. Not one of the three had ever seen anyone filled with the Holy Spirit. This small church and many like it in Argentina at the time had never experienced any manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They did not know how to receive the Holy Spirit, nor what it would be like when he came. We spent some time the first night instructing them according to the scriptures. Then we all knelt down before the Lord in prayer. And they waited on in utter silence. I led out in prayer and praise and song. No one joined me. They merely waited on in silence. When the four hours had passed, I asked if anyone had received any impulse from the Lord that would call for any cooperation on their part. Had anyone any any impulse to pray aloud, to praise the Lord, to sing a song, in fact, anything at all. Everyone answered in the negative except the young wife. She admitted a strange desire to arise and walk to the table in the center of the room and hid it. Surely this was a bit strange. Being far too proud to ever consider such a thing, she merely commented, Oh, it would be too foolish nor could she be persuaded to even try. Thus the first prayer meeting ended. Again I went before the Lord. I had fulfilled his command, and nothing had happened. What should we do now? But the Lord only said to wait and gather again for prayer. The next night the same group returned to seek the Lord. The second night was an exact repetition of the night before. During the four silent hours, no one had felt the slightest impulse from the Lord save the same woman who confessed to the same strange desire as the first night. But as it had happened the night before, she could not be persuaded to do it. The meeting ended in such dismal failure that I was certain no one would return the following night. How could this be the Lord? a thing so strange and so out of the ordinary, a desire to rap on a table. Nothing like this had ever been mentioned in the Bible. Why had God not moved? Why did he delay if he had given the command together for prayer, promising he would manifest himself? Questions and doubts zeroed in upon my heart and mind. In fear and trembling, I waited the next service. The third night, the same three joined my wife and me for another evening of prayer. A backslidden, called to be preacher, his wife and a servant lass. The result was another evening of silent waiting, another evening of no response to any urging or prompting of the Holy Spirit. When the service was nearly over, I asked the man's wife if she felt like banging the table 
With much shame and blushing, timidly she admitted that she did, but in no way could be prevailed upon to do it. How difficult it is for man to learn to know the voice of God. Three times God called Samuel, and three times Samuel thought it was the voice of Eli. Only the fourth time did he learn that it was God speaking. Several times God had spoken to this young woman. Somehow I knew it was God speaking. Had he not ordered these prayer services, and would he not fulfill his promise to manifest himself? But the woman would not obey. Thursday night, everything continued as on the previous evenings until 11 o'clock, when I asked everyone to get up from their knees and, and be seated. Young lady, I asked, do you still feel like hitting the table? In shame and reluctance, she confessed to the same strange desire, but she would not get up and do it. So I asked everyone to stand singing a chorus we all marched around the table and as each one gathered the courage to hit the table finally the young lady also took courage and reached out her hand when she hit the table immediately a rushing wind swept into the room from the southeast corner in seconds the retiring timid lass was on her feet worshiping the lord in great ecstasy her hands raised in the air her face transformed radiating the joy and the glory of the lord as she spoke in an unknown tongue the backslidden, rebellious man who had consistently resisted the call of God over his life fell under the table and there began to worship the Lord in another tongue as the Spirit gave utterance. His young wife, seeing what was taking place, cried out in a loud voice, All timidity now gone. I too, Lord, lest the Spirit should pass her by. Upon her too. The river of the Holy Spirit flowed, baptizing her in his presence, and she broke forth in strange tongue. Although we didn't realize it at the time, the Holy Spirit was being outpoured not only upon us, but upon the whole of Argentina in a new way, an outpouring that would later reach out into the furthest corners of this country. An act of simple obedience had opened the door. God had set in motion the forces to challenge this pagan country and make it a Christian nation. The move of God, for which so many had prayed, had come. Faith had triumphed. All the prayers and tears and longing and countless hours of wrestling with the enemy had at last prevailed. Faith changed into sight and we entered the stream of his mighty purpose for which so many had longed and prayed yet had not seen others had laid down their lives in faith not having received the promise nevertheless he came just as he had promised the wisdom of god put to naught the wisdom of man to hit the table in obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit took away the last obstacle to the flow of the mighty river of God. In early June 1949, that river began to flow out into Argentina. The news of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit traveled swiftly. More people came out to the prayer service the next night. 
From then on, neither cold nor danger nor anything else hindered the people from coming to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A 14-year-old girl, having little education, saw visions of things to come. Many of those visions came to pass. At times, she prophesied, quoting many scriptures that she'd never learned and had never read. Felix, a young man, received the word of knowledge and saw hidden things in vision. One night, he admonished a retired schoolteacher through the word of knowledge, to clear her home of idols. She replied in hurt amazement that there were no idols in her home. Then God gave Felix a vision showing him a a trunk of hers with a pile of religious relics at the bottom. It was true the relics, keepsakes left by a deceased mother, had been there for so many years she had forgotten them. God, manifesting his hatred of all idolatry, wanted them destroyed. The following day, the teacher brought all the relics to be destroyed. God taught us of gifts and operations of his spirit that we had never before known. Young Felix received an anointing healing ministry, later becoming a very successful evangelist and pioneering new works in Argentina. A word of the revival went out, more and more new people came, and they were all soon saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit. During those months, the church did not have one member who was not filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as they were saved, they received the Holy Spirit baptism, often before even receiving the baptism in water. Brother Thomas, who had labored with me in the disastrous Laval tent campaign, made a special trip north to visit us. Various ministries in Buenos Aires, having heard of the reports of the moving of the Spirit in Mendoza, sent Brother Thomas to make a first-hand report. Having pastored the Mendoza Church at one time, he already knew the people well. Looking upon the gloriously transformed people, all praising God and moving in the operations and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he said, this is a miracle. This is God. Only God could do this with these people. Before we'd had studies on the gifts and operations of the Holy Spirit. There was no response. Now these people are actually manifesting the gifts of the Spirit. In weeks, the little church doubled and redoubled its membership. The people formed into little bands and went out into the streets to witness. They went into the homes. They went in the power of the Holy Spirit, returning with glorious testimonies of what God was doing in response to their simple faith and witnessing. People were saved and healed as hands were laid upon them in faith. I listened attentively. And the Lord seemed to speak again and say, You see, son, I can do much more with these little Spanish-speaking ones filled with my Holy Spirit than I could with your going out alone with tracks and from door to door, seeing the wonderful wisdom and plan of God. My heart melted. I knew his way was the best way. Having cleansed the church by the purifying Holy Spirit and put it into his order, the Lord began to lead out even more in the ministry of healing. We held a campaign in a tent. This time it was not a failure. 
God worked his wonders. One night there was such a move of the Spirit of the Lord that all present, whether saved or unsaved, were on their knees before the Lord, crying out to him as a mighty word of prophecy went forth in the name of Jesus. All knelt before him that night and confessed him Lord of all. And when his Spirit swept over in mighty power, no one could resist his presence. Overnight the Lord had transformed the Mendoza church Instead of a few struggling, uninterested church members, our church was full and overflowing. Instead of cold silence in the worship service, joyous rejoicing took its place. In place of sighing, singing. In place of death, life. In place of defeat, victory. God had come to us in Mendoza. The desert had become a fruitful palace. But as the goal of the river is to flow ever outwards, seeking new channels, it could not be confined to Mendoza. Before long, invitations had come to visit other churches and towns. So leaving Felix, the national pastor in charge of the Mendoza work, we turned southward. Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour water upon him in that thirsty land. I will I will pour floods upon the dry ground. Invite the people to pray. I looked around at the large congregation of Slavic-speaking folk. The long preliminary program had finally finished, and the pastor had announced that I would preach. And now the only word the Lord gave me was, invite the people to pray. What kind of message was that? But having begun some months before to walk the road of implicit obedience to what I felt was the word of the Lord, I obeyed the command, inviting the people to pray. Immediately they went down on their knees. Before I had time to realize what was happening, the Holy Spirit had begun to fall on the group of approximately 400, and they began to cry out. Several received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Others were crying out with repentance as they sought their way back to Calvary. The pastor, astonished, wholly unaccustomed to these manifestations in his church, though he was Pentecostal by label, by label, quickly rang a bell and he called the people to order. Obediently, they became silent and took their seats. And now boomed the pastor, notably perturbed, in a deep commanding voice, Brother Miller will speak. But God had not changed his mind, so when I arose to speak, my words were these. Brethren, let's pray. Down on their knees the people went. No sooner had they begun to pray than the Holy Spirit again moved upon them. Others were filled with the Holy Spirit. The noise increased until the pastor, unable to tolerate any more deviation from customary ultra-formalism and ritualism, rang his little bell, and he called the people to attention and soundly scolded them. They obeyed. The service was returned to me. And I was told to preach the accustomed sermon. But God's sermon had still not changed. Brethren, God is here. Let's pray. And down on their knees they went for the third time. Again, the same process. The bell ringing, the scolding, the service returned to me. The repetition of the call to prayer. 
the people down on their knees again the holy spirit outpoured but the fourth time there was no more bell and no more scolding the holy spirit continued to move in great power the pastor stood by observing until he himself was moved upon by the holy spirit and then he began to call out to god At last the pastor had understood that the people were not out of hand, but in God's hand. For hours great crying and groanings ascended, the terrible conviction some wrestling for pardon. Others shouted in mighty victory the praises of Zion and the Lamb. Others spoke in unknown tongues as they received the Holy Spirit and promised by the Father. It was a holy jubilee. By the end of the week nearly two hundred had received the Holy Spirit. In another church, in the capital, Buenos Aires, the same beautiful river of God began to flow, cleansing, healing, filling believers with his Holy Spirit, including several of the children of a missionary pastor and his praying wife. Doors were closed on that sultry summer night to protect unbelieving neighbors from the noise. Nevertheless, the cries and praises passed through closed doors as they ascended into the heavens. Well, that's the story of the beginning of the Argentine revival, as written by R. Edward Miller, the pastor, who finally came to an end of himself. Do you see why I've come to an end of myself? I've worked as a pastor for now over 50 years, Oh, as a as a pastor before people, I have nothing to be ashamed of. I've always been for change and for progress. But I've accomplished so very little for the true kingdom of God. I've been a professional pastor. And I've seen very little result. I come on this radio broadcast and I, I preach my heart out day after day and I see almost no almost no return after yesterday's message a dear pastor sent me a a note and he said my heart was humbled i see that as a sign of the holy spirit but the holy spirit has not been poured out yet and so i'm going to continue more than eight hours a day praying reading the word, praising the name of Jesus and waiting upon him, sure that he will answer. I'm not going to give up. I've told the Lord, Lord, you can either take me home or pour out your Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do anything else until you do one of the two. I'm not going to quit. As long as you are moved by the Spirit to contribute to this ministry so that the radio can be paid, I'll continue on the air. If the money's not there, I'll simply go off the air and spend all my time crying out before God. I'm in a very, very difficult place, and I I ask for your prayers. I've gone through a very hard and bitter time I'm waiting upon the Lord.
He alone is my deliverer. I've told you, he said to me audibly one night in the about three o'clock in the morning, he said, wait upon the Lord. A pause. And then he said, the Lord will carry you through. And then he said, very kindly, very gently, rest in me, Ray. So that's exactly what I'm doing. Now, if you'd, if you'd like to be a part of this waiting, I'd like to hear that you're doing it with me. I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm waiting. And I'm not going to stop. It's either the end of ministry and end of life or the Holy Spirit's going to come because I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Do you want this kind of revival for America? I do. Many, many have prayed for it. I'm nobody special. I have no special gifts. I'm nobody. I'm an unsung person. But Jesus knows me. And he knows I'm not going to quit. That I'm going to pray. So I talk with people as they call me and I minister or as they come by the house, I'll stop and minister. Sunday service, I'll minister. On the radio, I'll I'll pastor. All the rest of my time and energy is devoted to the Lord. Waiting upon him for revival. Yes, it seems as though the heavens are shut up. I weep and pray and I lay on my face before the Lord. I invite you to be a part with me in whatever way God calls you. If you're a pastor, you can pray eight hours a day. I'm praying more than eight hours a day. If you'd like to help carry this intercession, then you can go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give online and the money you give will go to sustain this radio broadcast. Or you can write to me. I only get to the post office once a week. Otherwise, I don't leave the house. I don't have transportation. So you can write to me and I praise God for a dear brother, Richard, who sent $80 yesterday. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Let me give you that address again. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We are still basically $3,000 short of having the money for the month of October, and we're going to be entering into our last week. I thank the dear brother who sent $500 and the dear sister who sent 200 and a brother who sent 100 Thank you. 
you know where I'm going to be. And I'll come and share with you and testify and call you to pray for the Holy Spirit and for revival, to pray for our president, to pray for our Congress. Our nation is desperately needing your prayers. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. Again, I shared with you from the book, Thy God Reigneth, R. Edward Miller. I read to you chapter 2 today. I don't know if I'll go further, but this Argentine revival is an astonishing story, and I know it will be repeated in America. So you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. If you'd like to come on Sunday, you're welcome to come. Just call me, 703-489-1785, and you're welcome to come if your heart is serious about Jesus and you want the Holy Spirit and you're tired of the same old, same old. So, if you'd like directions, call me and I'll give you directions. My brother, my sister, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with Jesus.